you're going to give me 10 bitcoins and then I'm going to sell you my house. Now, ideally, if the city hall recognized the records kept on that ledger, right, then we would just be able to transfer and sell the house literally for pennies on the dollar. Instead, we have, you know, five or seven people sitting at a closing table, lawyers, title agents, insurance, banks, and so forth. And once all the paper is signed and done and they go and head back to their offices, if somebody gets hit by a car, you don't know who owns the house. What happens then? Welcome to Reinventing Perspective. Today, we have a phenomenal guest. We have Ivan Zhang. Ivan, please tell us who are you and what's your mission? My name is Ivan Zhang. I'm a CEO and co-founder of Pennyworth. Our mission is to bring the benefits of blockchain technology and decentralized finance to the broader public. Maybe you can start off by telling us what is blockchain, what are smart contracts, and what is Web3? The way to think about it is to look at what your current bank is doing, right? When you are depositing money, the bank just uh, takes out their books and they just say, hey, look, Priscilla, she just gave me $100, right? And then the bank goes and do whatever they need to do to make money from that business, which is to make loans to other people, right? And so it really it boils down to they have a set of books where you trust they are the good record keeper and that they will keep your word to not modify or change the records at will. So that when you go back and say, hey, look, when I need my $100 back, they'll look at the books and say, hey, look, Priscilla, she does have $100 with us. And then now we go and give it back to her. So that is the fundamental purpose of modern banking. But it's also the purpose of a lot of other custodians or record keepers. So you can have City Hall if they're recording the deeds to your house. You can have a custodian for stocks when they're holding the stocks. Nobody actually holds stocks, right? There are no longer physical certificates that are going around. So all of these services really just hinges on them having good books of records of who owns what at what time. And so blockchain technology allows you to do that as well without having to trust the bank or the city hall or the broker dealer custodian. Obviously, these are highly trusted institutions in our current society. So there's not so much of a problem. But the idea is if you don't have such kind of institutions wherever you are, or you want to build a new kind of institution to keep track of new things, this is where blockchain technology can come in. It is a immutable ledger, means that it's very difficult to tamper with it. It's addition only in the sense that you can always add information, but you can never delete. And because of that, you can keep track of the entire history of every single transaction that's ever occurred without having to trust somebody to be the custodian of that. And the reason they're able to do that is because these are a decentralized network of hundreds, if not thousands of people that are doing this service for you. And they are incentivized to do that because they get rewarded from the transactions that you perform and then the records you keep on that blockchain. Actually kind of frightening how much trust we have in institutions when you put it like that. <laughs> Yes. Well, fundamentally, that's the entire business model. Maybe you can tell us how you got involved in blockchain and crypto. It started many, many years ago. I think about 2013 when we first heard about it. That was initially a very iffy kind of introduction to Bitcoin. And that was the only thing around. And the only association was, hey, look, there is this big uh, dark web marketplace and people are using Bitcoin to trade, buy drugs and whatnot. And so there's definitely was a beginning that was associated with this. Hey, look, what is this thing? And are people using it for illicit activities? But the premise of why they're using it for illicit activity was very interesting. When we dug deeper, it was, hey, look, this is a non-sovereign form of value, right? And so that just means that it's not associated with a particular country, it's not associated with a particular person, but it's a way when people can confer value to each other, just like you would do for gold. So it is very innovative in that sense. So you can see that, hey, look, now we have this little ledger that you can keep track of just, you know, transfers of values, right? So I give Priscilla $100, she gives $50 to somebody else. That's fun, but it's also very limiting. What if you could 
do arbitrary business contracts or enforce arbitrary business rules. And then all of a sudden, you basically are able to mirror or replicate substantially most of these services, business, and high-value jobs or industries out there. And that's what got really interesting in 2000, I think, 14 was it or 15 when Ethereum came along with the concept of smart contracts. I didn't explain it before, but the idea is basically, hey, now we have this trusted or regular trustless books or records that you can put and add things to. And everyone agrees that that's going to be the source of record. Now you can do something that's interesting. What if I had a house and I want to buy it from you and it's not relevant what the asset is that we're buying it from. Let's just say we're going to buy it for Bitcoin. You're going to give me 10 Bitcoins and then I'm going to sell you my house. Now, ideally, if the city hall recognized the records kept on that ledger right then we would just be able to transfer and sell the house literally for pennies on the dollar instead we have five or seven people sitting at a closing table lawyers title agents, insurance banks and so forth and once all the papers signed and done and they go and head back to their offices if somebody gets hit by a car you don't know who owns the house what happens then what happens if the house burns down in between these things happen right so there's all sorts of risks that actually are present and pervasive in the traditional financial world because these transactions don't happen atomically it means that they require a huge amount of coordination from a lot of people whereas there's a benefit in crypto where you can encode the transactions and say look hey if I'm buying a house, I have to receive the money and the deed has to be recorded properly for this transaction to go through. And that actually reduced tremendous amount of risks. There's no risk of I give the money first and the guy doesn't give me the house or vice versa. And so that potentially could reduce massive amounts of overhead and bring tons of benefits to just about everybody. I read in your bio that you were mining ethereum what does that mean as i mentioned it is a trustless ledger that we keep right that is the blockchain that's like almost like a public service it's like a public good so somebody at some point has to pay for it and the nice thing that blockchains are doing is basically straightforward if you need to put a transaction onto the blockchain you're the one that pays for it so it's pretty fair now who does the money go to well it's those people that are keeping the books and records so in order to be tamper proof you have thousands of thousands of nodes or members that are basically verifying these transactions and these are the folks that you're paying so that they can maintain that ledger for you. And the process of doing that requires a lot of computation power, depending on how it's designed. And at the very beginning, when the first blockchains came out, there was a concept or algorithm that they used called proof of work. And that required you to compute a very difficult mathematical algorithm, which essentially uses a lot of energy. And so it was almost akin to traditional mining where you're using a lot of energy. You're not physically mining things in terms of with a pickaxe we are building a lot of these machines very power hungry setting up these facilities and all for the opportunity to process these transactions and then earn some income as a result well thank you for making that very simple and understandable for us to the person who's listening our audience is early entrepreneurs and they're thinking okay so where do i fit in in all this or what industries should I be looking at and how should I be looking at how this will affect me as an entrepreneur? Blockchain is it's still in the developing stages, right? So the appeal is that there's opportunities just about every single industry that you think about. But in order for it to get a mass adoption, you need this to be institutionalized in such a way that, hey, this is part of the regular economy. This is a recognized way to do business, right? So for example, there's no reason why you can record these on a blockchain and that would be very, very cheap. We're just not doing that because it's not recognized in 
a lot of municipalities and cities and so on and so forth. There's a huge push there to eventually get people that are currently sitting in those seats, those are centralized points where they are the institution keeping those records and say, hey, look, there's a benefit actually even for you to delegate the task of bookkeeping to a decentralized ledger potentially so that everyone can see the transparency you can potentially also reduce costs, lower maintenance, and bring essentially a lot more trust into the system as opposed to say, hey, look, we are the single trusted custodian. We are the keeper of the records, but we have no idea the inner work of that organization. So one of the lower hanging fruits, ironically, is the financial services industry. Financial contracts are literally that, right? You just have a bunch of code. You run, I do this thing and I win. I get a certain amount of money and then vice versa, you lose. And these are very amenable to be uh, programmed. So it's not that these jobs are easy to replace but the idea is that the opportunity to create a new financial system with the blockchain as the underpinning infrastructure is very appealing and there's also potentially a quite feasible. On the other dimensions, there's tons of other businesses where say, hey, look, if you need to coordinate between a lot of people, that is an area where the blockchain could benefit because, for example, in supply chain management, you have the manufacturer of the goods or potentially it could be a farmer and then you have the shipper, the people that are carrying this. There's also insurance firms involved because the payments of the goods are not necessarily happening at the same time as the goods themselves are being transferred. And then obviously, if you lose the goods or it becomes damaged, there's another party that gets involved to deal with claims. So it would be great to have an opportunity to coordinate this all. Currently, every single one of these firms have to keep track of their own ledgers as to what goods are going through where. Sometimes it's redundant at best, and then sometimes it's just inconsistent, causing tons of errors, delays, which you can see as, you know, translates to higher inflation in recent times when massive amounts of supply chains were backed up. I don't know exactly what the, uh, you know, low-hanging fruit in terms of how to get that business up and running, but you can see it one day where this is kind of almost the standard way to do business, because then you can see the whole process from when a coffee bean initially were harvested to all the way getting to that store and then finally getting to your coffee table. And so these are opportunities that are so broad based that even just starting right now and then targeting a small piece of it, you could become essentially the expert in that area. Just a quick ask, if you're finding this information helpful, please share it with someone that you know would love this conversation and would find this information beneficial. Thank you again for listening in. And let's jump back into our conversation. There's a lot of talk about Web3. And I think the average person doesn't quite understand what exactly that means. It's more of like a marketing term, right? So the idea was in the 1990s, you came up with the web. So the web really was, hey, I have my little web page. This is Ivan. My hobbies are like playing ball going to the park. It's a read-only mentality, right? You can't really interact with a web page. It was just there. And then Web 2 is kind of what we have now where you have able to create web services. It's interactive or I can use it to pay for things, order stuff. The user is inputting stuff into the web, right? That's exactly what the difference is between Web 1 and Web 2. And then the Web 3 is the third synthesis of this where not only are you the one that is interacting with the web services, but you're also the direct owner of certain facets of these data, right? So for example, Twitter, you do all these tweets, you have all these friends and networks and all that stuff. You don't really own that. That information is owned by Facebook, by Twitter, any of those corresponding social media platforms. The idea of Web3 is a world where you are fundamentally at the center of that data universe. You are the owner of that data 
just like you are the owner of the crypto that you hold in the crypto wallets and that enables you to have a lot more agency over your life and right now the most applications are financial so your simplest use case right now is to have more agency over your financial life but as these things develop further and we develop full-fledged social media platforms and in fact uh, Jack Dorsey just announced recently that they're coming out with this thing called Blue Sky which is a decentralized social network you'll be able to have more agency over your social graph you have more agency over your online presence you have more agency over how your privacy information is managed maybe you don't want to keep entering your email address password even your physical address or credit card information thousands and thousands of times every time you go onto a new platform right we're already seeing some of that you go to an online site and say hey look you can log in with google right and the idea is like i don't need to log into the separate site if google can say that i'm a verified person that's good enough right now imagine the opportunity here where instead of being like verified by google there's a verified by your crypto wallet address or something like that which you fully control then the opportunity there is that you will not be deplatformed in the sense that Google can say, hey, look, you know what? You violate some of our terms. We're just going to unplug you. Now, all of a sudden, all of the services that relied on your Google login to verify you all of a sudden say, hey, I don't know who you are. And now you're essentially not shut down just from Google, but all the other relevant services as well. Ivan, this Web3 and the metaverse. When people are talking about the metaverse and all the things you'll be able to do in the metaverse, is this sort of the same concept or is it something totally different? The metaverse would be, I would say, an even higher level from that, right? So the best analogy I would think about is Web3, the idea would be like, hey, look, it's HTTP. So if you go to any website, you type HTTP colon slash slash and then the, the address, right? So uh, the ideas of Web3 is the infrastructure, is the ideology that you basically are the owner of the data, right? Now, how is that manifest, right? What does it look like? That's what, what the metaverse would do. So the metaverse, it could be just another web page with other information. It could be a full augmented reality. It could be a full virtual reality in which people participate in but that is like the actual content and the way that people interact with on a day-to-day -day basis which is a lot more on the social dimension and less on a technical dimension right so web3 would be the technical dimension or the legal dimension where the implication is that i control my financial data i control my non-financial social data and my social network metaverse is how do you actually operate in it are you going to website are you going to a chat are you going to a virtual meeting are you going to like a full immersive experience that is what the metaverse is and the premise is that as more and more things will be compatible with the blockchain you can live more of more of your life inside the metaverse to some point where it becomes almost like one of those sci-fi movies where people are just in these pods and they're just like hey look i'm really living inside the metaverse and not in this real life i don't think we're going to be there soon but the premise is that there's going to be an alternate dimension that's going to be more representative of your real life what is Pennyworks and what is it that you do? Pennyworks is an alternative investment platform where we're trying to bring the benefits of DeFi to the broader public. And one way to do that in a fully compliant way is to create investment securities that generate income through uh, DeFi. And now, so the first product that we have is a savings account-like alternative. It offers around 4 to 6% yield, and it is a daily liquid, which means that there's no lockups. You can take the money out whenever you need, but because it's compliant with securities laws, it's limited to accredited investors, and we are essentially able to make that available for folks 
in an easy to understand way without them having to deal with their own crypto wallets, parse blockchain transactions, or dig deep into the mechanics of how all of these terms work. Right now, if we talk about crypto, I mean, there's so much in the news about the crypto millionaires and all of a sudden they're saying, oh, well, they lost all their money in crypto. Is crypto now a thing of the past? What is really going on with crypto, Ivan? It is definitely very overwhelming. Things are happening like at the speed of light in the crypto ecosystem. And it is quite volatile, but, you know, there's tons of stocks <laughs> in traditional finance now that look like they are meme stocks, so to speak, right? Even large established players like Amazon dropping 20% after earnings. That's like trillions of dollars a market cap hundreds of billions of dollars lost in a second so the volatility is not specific to crypto it's a lot more that things are volatile when they are less established and people are deciding about where the opportunities are right and that's very reasonable because hey look i have this new tool what can it do and i want to draw an analogy here to even you know hundreds of years ago when the first electric grid came out right factories were designed before then to use the steam engine and they were optimized to have all these tools very very close to the source of power because the further you go the less power you had now the moment they electrified they didn't change anything they all just changed as the source of power but really to benefit from electrification you had to redesign your factories because you can have separate departments that's specific to different use case and they didn't have to be concentrated onto one side of the building and so on and so forth and it actually took well over a decade for people to learn how to use electricity effectively to get the most out of it now people don't think about it it was second nature but it's the same thing here when you build a new technology that shows a lot of promise just like the internet in the late 1990s there's a time where you can see the opportunity without knowing what it is or what is the winner that's going to come out of that and that is kind of why you're seeing that volatility because there's the different ideas of what is going to be successful but none of those things have been played out yet which is why there's huge amount of disagreement which also means opportunity for folks now tell me ivan so with pennyworks does it mean that you can save your crypto so our platform is very straightforward right now our first product is just money so traditional us dollars it looks and behaves like a savings account but obviously we're not a bank so it's not fdic insured part of the reason is because banks are not allowed to engage in DeFi activity it's so new even for them right we're excited about this opportunity because it leverages decentralized finance and in one of the aspects of it is a lending marketplace which uses collateralized lending so it's kind of similar to home loans where folks will say hey look i need to fund some investments and i will give you my house's collateral right and then people say well okay fine i'll lend you 50 cents on the dollar right and if you don't pay back they're like well we'll just take the house and sell it and as long as we can sell for more than 50 cents we'll get back our investments so the unique thing about this is when you do the same activity on the blockchain it's traded 24 7 it's extremely liquid and that means that there's actually much less risk and lower overhead because if you think about somebody hey look we need to get the money back because somebody didn't pay on their mortgage well it's going to take like three to six months right you have to have all these legal proceedings all these uh, paperwork as well as just physically auctioning off the house and all this other difficulties but in crypto there's none of those overhead right the marketplaces that trade the assets are on the blockchain, the lending marketplaces are on the blockchain, and it's open 24-7. So it doesn't close because there's maintenance or anything. In fact, you cannot stop it, which is very interesting because that means that whenever you need to make sure to liquidate the assets, 
so that you can get back your principal, you're able to do that. And that dramatically reduces the risk of the investment, much lower than any traditional investment in finance. And that's why we are really excited to offer this because it allows users to basically take the place of the bank. They are becoming the banker to sophisticated investors that need funds. And instead of the bank essentially not giving you any interest, you know, essentially 0.01 or whatnot on your checking account, we are essentially providing most of the interest back to the user. I think especially now in this period of inflation, that's sort of the main thing you're thinking about when you're thinking about saving money in this case. So I know there's an aspect of this that has to do with protecting ourselves from inflation. The inflation aspect is very important. If you look historically, inflation has nearly almost been lower than the 10-year U.S. Treasury government bond yield, which means that it didn't take a lot of effort to beat inflation, so to speak, in a very simplistic sense. You just go and buy U.S. 10-year Treasury bonds, wait for 10 years, and on average, you'll make much higher. Now, it's very unique that in these recent times, inflation is significantly higher, right? High single digits, whereas U.S. Treasuries and government bonds have been in low single digits. So you're basically, at best, losing 2 to 3% a year if you are invested in 10-year treasuries and even more if you just have your money in a checking or savings account and that's kind of something that most people haven't experienced in their working lives in the last 20 years it's not been that issue for example even in the mid-2000s when inflation was pretty low interest rates were like five or six percent in your checking account and so that was good enough to actually beat inflation this is a very unique time that most people haven't experienced in their entire working careers maybe in the last 60 years or so and so people are accustomed to expecting zero interest from their checking account. And what we're just saying is that that is actually not right. And it's even worse in an environment when inflation is almost 10%. And so we're really saying you can do a lot better. And this is the way. Ivan, to someone who wants to know a little bit more about blockchain from really a beginner level, what resources would you sort of direct people to? There are tons of great resources. So obviously, at pennyworks.com, we have articles that come out on a regular basis explaining some aspects of DeFi, blockchain, even traditional finance and economics. But there's other resources that are much better at uh, doing full-fledged kind of overview of very specific aspects such as different DeFi protocols, different blockchains. There's one called Gemini. They have a learn section. And then there is also one from marketcap.com. They also have a learn section. And each one has a different flavor. The Gemini one where they bring out a senior executives from particular protocols to explain what their protocol does or an aspect of the business. And in the coinmarketcap.com one, they have crypto 201. So a little bit more of a deep dive into much more specifics of aspects of crypto. So between the two, you have a decent basis and all these resources are free. And also on top of that, if you want to pay a little bit more, there are tons of really good courses that you can take, both on terms of a Udemy, there.com, and there's also Coursera, which have uh, tons of resources for those that want to make this a little bit more of a long-term educational experience. Ivan, thank you so much for really just bringing this information and making it so simple and easy to understand. To our audience, please go to www.pennyworks.com to learn more about what Ivan does. Ivan, where can people find you in social media or where can they sort of interact with you best? Really appreciate it. Please check us out pennyworks.com we're also on social media you can find us on twitter and linkedin and really happy to be on the show Priscilla. 
Thank you, Ivan. I hope you got a lot of information, a lot of actionable things out of these episodes. Please, two huge favors from you. Please let us know what kind of things you'd like to hear. And if you really love the episode, please support us by going and leaving a review in your podcast listening app. Thank you for choosing to spend your time with the Reinventing Perspectives podcast. We value you. See you again next week. Mm-hmm.